Welcome to episode 81 of the Derek Diamond Experience for the week of November 25th, 2015. That's right, it's a special Wednesday edition of the Derek Diamond Experience because tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And if you're listening to this as you're traveling home to visit family for the weekend or even if it's just for Thanksgiving, hopefully you're being very safe. I know traffic can be a pain this time of year and people, uh, some people, I won't say all people, but some people, uh, their intelligence drops whenever they get behind the wheel of a vehicle. So be very safe as you're traveling. But today's episode is the best of the Derek Diamond Experience, Volume 2, meaning you'll be hearing highlights from some of my personal favorite interviews that I've done since I've started this show. And it was fun going back and listening to the older ones especially because you can really tell a difference in my tone of voice, just my overall demeanor. And it was kind of crazy going back and doing that because I feel like I've come a long way, not just with talking with people and doing interviews and having more confidence in myself to ask questions, but as I've said before, this podcast has really helped me become a little more outgoing and and whatnot because I was always very reserved as a kid, so that was just something I thought of, and especially with it being Thanksgiving and all, that's something that I'm really thankful for is to have this type of outlet to be able to express myself and meet new people, and I know that not everyone has that opportunity, so that's something that I'm very thankful for. And I thank you, the listeners, for listening each and every week. I know I mentioned it last week, but I'll say it again. Without you guys listening, there wouldn't be a show. So thank you very much for that. But as far as the interviews that you're going to be hearing in this week's Best Of show, you'll be hearing from comic book artist Steve Scott, who has worked on Batman, Justice League, and has even done some art for the old Smallville TV show that I used to enjoy back in the day. Video game visual effects designer Jeffrey Larkin, who has worked on Mortal Kombat X and Injustice. Indie rock band The Unicorn Wranglers, who I've had numerous times on this show. And what's cool about their segment is part of it is going to be unreleased audio from the last interview I did with them, also featuring Joey Trincali. You'll also be hearing from former NFL quarterback Jake Plummer, who played for the Denver Broncos and Arizona Cardinals, and fellow podcaster Nicole Welch, who is the host of the Real Time Real Men Only podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoy these segments. I know I had a lot of fun going back and listening to these. I'd forgotten how good these were because I just haven't listened to the audio in a while. So hopefully you guys enjoy it, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I've got to ask you a question. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out Atomics, the brand new EP from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, featuring the vocals of Joey Trincali. It has three new tracks, including their single Tomorrow's Plan, which is also the theme song of this very podcast. This EP is unlike anything the Unicorn Wranglers have done before, so support local music by checking out Atomics, which is available now on iTunes and Spotify for only $2.97. I mean, come on, people, that's less than $3. You can buy your entire family the EP, so you should definitely hop on that because the holidays are coming up. It's an easy gift to get, and you get new, original, great music. But you can keep up with the Unicorn Wranglers on social media, like them on Facebook, and follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Wranglers. And finally, don't forget to visit their website, theunicornwranglers.com. Hopefully you guys enjoy the interviews, and I will see you on the other side of them. (laughs) 
Back here on the Derek Diamond Experience with my special guest this week, uh, someone I met back at Pensacon in February, and he is comic book artist Steve Scott. Steve, how you doing? Man, I am doing fantastic. How are you doing, Derek? I am fantastic as well. So how did you get into drawing comics? Um, you know, it's it's so funny you should ask me something like that. Uh, the, my studio is in Three Alarm Comics, and today, you know, I meandered into the into the shop out of uh, my my cave of a studio, and there was a gentleman here that talked to me about, you know, he wanted to get into writing comics and asked me, you know, some tricks to how he should begin. Uh, you know, I I started like most people do. You know, I started, you know, uh, by making some connections, doing some networking, and uh, there were some people that believed in me enough. Uh, even though my work was not, it was very subpar in my opinion, but they believed in me enough and they saw how much I was trying. Uh, and <clears throat> we worked on a on a independent project called Hurricane LaRue together, you know, ba- a character based out of uh, New Orleans. Um, and, you know, uh, you know we just kind of started that way. And I, um, from there, I went on to get some work submitted into Malibu and start still it was the same way I tell everybody man start off by showing that you can produce the product and then you can make a deadline and you know that you have the capabilities of doing more than to you if in 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 fact the quality starts to get up there to that point and did you go to college for uh for art I I went to William Carey College on the Mississippi Gulf Coast for about two years for just commercial art in general but there was nothing that my professors taught me that related to comics. Matter of fact, you know, I had several professors tell me, you know, you don't need to be doing commercial art, and comics is such an inferior thing. You need to be throwing paint on a canvas and telling people what you were feeling as you did such and have them pay money for the splattering effect on the canvas. And I said, no, that's not what I want to do. And at the time... I was going to college. I was working as a screen print artist, doing T-shirt and hat designs and things. So I was already working. Yeah, I was already working professionally in the commercial art field while going to college. So I eventually quit college and I uh, uh, spent about three years. I got on the fire department, <laughs> and then I spent about three years submitting samples to you know the publishers out there, any and all publishers I could, and you know every two weeks I would send packets out you know with new samples new six page samples and I just didn't give up until finally I you know got in there and what was the first major comic company you worked for uh, between the two of them I worked for Marvel first um, and, and almost in every way because I worked for Mar- Mar- Malibu Ultraverse which eventually got bought by Marvel so even in that respect you know it was kind of by proxy but I worked for Malibu Ultraverse, then I worked in London Night Studios, um, Brainstorm Comics, independent publishers, and then Marvel picked me up. And I worked on, um, I did New Warriors first, but I, I, was, I was asked to do like a fill-in on Wolverine, I think was the first published gig I had from Marvel, and an, um, oh, another X-Men title, I can't remember what it was, I did like four pages of it, you know, just one of those things where, hey, look, there's somebody running way behind, can you contribute these four pages or five pages, I'm like, sure, um, you know, and then, and then, boom, you know, New Warriors, so, uh, yeah, Marvel was the first one. Were you a Marvel fan growing up, or were you a DC guy? I was a fan of both, man, I really was, I, I, I got into comics because of Star Wars, and from Star Wars, I found micronauts 
But I also liked a DC comic, an anthology comic called Time Warp. It was a, a, a science fiction anthology that was like the dollar size comics. I love that. I enjoyed Batman. I enjoyed Green Lantern. I really enjoyed like a lot of stuff. Uh, I didn't stick with any particular one uh, one company, you know. And you said you've seen Godzilla. Yes, yes, I have. What did you think? Uh, you know, I Godzilla. I used to like when I was a little bitty kid. Even though there were silly things, like Godzilla would break into dance, and you can tell he was like in a man in a costume, and he was breaking down cardboard boxes. So I was I was Godzilla fan to a point anyway, but not so much a big Godzilla fan. So the quality of the Godzilla battles and things like that in this was amazing, uh, uh, outstanding. Uh, I believe that, that he was real, but yet also he could have been a man in a suit. That, that was wonderful about what they did with the CGI on him. They anatomically, they could have stuck a man in a Godzilla suit and still feel, fit the bill for what they did for Godzilla. But I also like that they had a story. Um, uh, is is a uh, can we announce spoiler spoiler alert? Yeah, I mean it's been out for a couple of weeks, so why not? Okay, spoiler alert. You know, one of the main characters, probably probably their highest paid actor in in the in the movie, was killed off rather quickly. You know, Brian Cranston. That um, shocked me. Okay, but with that being said, it shocked everybody. And with that, with that, that's in, in storytelling realm and somebody that works with storytellers and writers and people in the creative process, it allowed everybody in the audience to wonder that it, it you know, who could be next and that anybody that we can get comfortable with and enjoy and like could die next. In other words, so it gave us a sense of uncomfortableness that anybody else could be the next to go. So even as much as some people hated it, it was brilliant storytelling technique. Not to spoon feed us a comfortable aspect of saying, we're following this guy from the beginning and he's going to take us to the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. Well, you know, I, I, uh, my my. On the pop culture palette, you know, I was talking to Jason about this, and Jason didn't like that fact. And I said, man, that's a part of it that was brilliant storytelling. And, and yeah, it was uncomfortable because we liked Brian Cranston. Those of us that were, you know, you know, fran- you know fans of Breaking Bad already liked him, as, you know, anyway. But, but he was so – he did such a great job in this film, and, and we liked him. We were following him, and all of a sudden, he's gone. So, you know, in our hearts, we're like, wow, man, nobody's safe. Nobody is safe. And, uh, you know, it, it, to me, that's good storytelling. Keeping with the theme of superhero TV shows, you actually worked on one of my all-time favorite shows, Smallville. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, season six, I did two of the episodes of Justice and Doom, which appeared, uh, it aired along with the uh, TV show as a little extra segment, an animated, uh, Flash animated segment. Um, which introduced uh, really the JLA, so to speak, you know, uh, in there. And, uh, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was really freaky weird because um, it, to be working on something, and we were in such a rush to produce it that, you know, we'd work on it, and like three weeks later, um, uh, we're seeing it on TV, airing live with when everybody else saw it on TV. And it's like that, that's just what I was drawing on my desk, three weeks ago <laughs> you know it was really weird man wait so you didn't see it for the first time until you saw it on tv like everyone else 
Well, no, I I got to see I got to see it uh, before that. I mean, we were on. Yeah, we were on like a. Um, uh, there was a certain site we'd sign into, and and we would you know post uh, everything that we've done to the other people involved in the coloring process, the the animation process, and everything else. So I got to see it, you know, right prior to it. But it was still an odd thing to see something that you just so recently did. I mean, because it was really on a fast. We had to really work hard to get that stuff out. Um, you know, there was a time it, on the second part of that. If uh, fifth installment there's a scene where i've got um lois lane uh you know like being knocked out or something and superman's going to her rescue or, or clark i should say and i drew her with uh two two left feet or two right feet i mean I, when, if you look at it you know you can tell that the feet are the you know the the they're two left feet or two right feet you know people have toes on one side or whatever <clears throat> but, I mean, I was literally finishing up drawing that, like, in an absolute, like, daze. I mean, uh, you know, like, two hours of sleep or maybe one hour of sleep, you know, for you know, over a 48-hour period, you know, getting it done. I mean, it's one of those deadline crunch things that most people aren't aware of that we go through as comic book artists. But it was still so exciting to actually see it. And, and they animated it so fast that, you know, you'd have to be looking for it to see what I'm talking about. Looking back on it, because Smallville has been over for a while and it started back in the early 2000s, do you look at Smallville as kind of like a a precursor to to setting up these other superhero TV shows like an Arrow? Oh man, yeah, yeah, especially especially Arrow because I'll tell you, I mean, you know, they had a very uh, a, a, an attractive looking young cast, you know, that they picked. I mean, you know, uh, uh, the uh, the actor, you know, that's, that plays uh, Ollie, you know, in Arrow, I mean, you know, he takes his shirt off, man, and there's no way women are not melting. Um, the uh, the women in the show are just absolutely, all of them, drop-dead gorgeous. Um, I'm, I'm melted with those. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, but anyway, man, you know, I mean, they, they're, they're playing it right. I mean, you know, they, they, they're making this and designing this to really appeal to uh, an audience of all ages there. You know, they, they've got uh, characters in it that are in their uh, uh, probably, you know, in their but about 21 years old and up. Uh, and um, man, it's just it's 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 very well cast and they're doing a great job. And, and they did the same with Smallville, in my opinion. They, they cast it very well. Uh, they did a wonderful job of, of even if you are not a superhero geek nerd like I am or probably I, I'm assuming you are. Uh, you know, you, you could still like that show, and, and you didn't feel out of touch by telling people, I really like Smallville, or I really like Arrow. You know, it did, they didn't have to be a comic nerd to be able to actually say, oh, I like it too. Back here on the Derek Diamond Experience with my special guest this week, video game visual effects designer Jeffrey Larkin. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Growing up in Chicago, were you uh, were you a big gamer when you were a kid? Yeah, um, when I was young, I must have been six or seven. Uh, my little brother and I inherited an NES from our two older brothers, and that kind of set my life going. Um, Super Mario Brothers, Excite Bike, um, baseball. I don't even know if there was like. A subtitle of that one it was just baseball i think mm-hmm. um, you would be right <laughs> yeah but uh but those games like just kind of 
changed what I thought I knew at that young age and uh, actually still kind of do. Um, but yeah, started way back then, graduated to uh, Sega Genesis and then a Nintendo 64 all the way up through the uh, next-gen consoles today. You sound like a kindred spirit. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. I, I actually never owned a NES, but my aunt had one, so I would always go there after school and play it. Mm -hmm. I was a huge Mario and Zelda fan and still am to this day. Oh, yeah. uh, Zelda is my all-time favorite uh, video game franchise. Mario is probably uh, a close second. And then I got the Genesis just for the Sonic games, which mm -hmm. the, I, I still enjoy them, but you know the new ones aren't quite... They're not, they don't quite hold up to the old ones, in my they, opinion. They, they definitely changed the formula a little bit. Just even going into 3D from 2D, it... it the feel of the game completely changed. So when you're going through school, uh, when do you decide that working in video games is something that you want to do with your life? Um, you know, I, I guess it was kind of high school that cemented that in for me. Um, no particular class or um, teacher or anything like that. It was just kind of, you know, you come into your own a little bit in high school and um, growing up with games, it was really the only thing that made sense to me to go into. Um, but, uh, but fun fact, I didn't start with games when I went to college. I actually did a animation for the first half of my, my stay there. And then it was um, uh, a professor who came in, Brenda Brathwaite, although people out there probably know her better as Brenda Romero right now um she came and taught and totally changed my mind about what i was doing and and got me into games what uh, what made you want to go into animation when you first went to college um i guess i loved film as much or more than i loved games and i thought that with animation i could jump between the two or at least have options in both doing you know uh short and feature length animated films or video games. Oh, okay. But, yeah. And uh, where did you go to college? I went to the Savannah College of Art and Designer, SCAD as it's known, out in Savannah, Georgia. Beautiful college. Oh, yeah. And it's also uh, where you met our mutual contact, Brett Brooks, right? Yes. Oh, man. Brett Brooks and I go way, way, way back. I always have to I have to give him props anytime I interview someone that he's recommended. So, Brett, there's your shout out if you're listening. Yeah, all for you, Brett. I'm pulling <laughs> one out for you right now. <laughs> Was NetherRealm your first job, or did you work with uh, any other type of uh, of games? Um, that was that was my first one. Um, nice. That's yeah, impressive. It only took two and a half years, three years. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, I, yeah, definitely people have it have it worse. But yeah, no, that was my first one. That's um, awesome. Knew a friend of a friend of a relative who worked there, and uh, eventually got in contact with this guy. And through so many emails being exchanged, and eventually like not being able to meet with him at all. He was just like, you know what, I'm just going to forward your stuff over to this other guy. And then like a week later, I get a call asking me in for 
uh, an interview for my first internship there. That's awesome. That, that's that's really impressive to say that your first company you worked with is Nether Realm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know like dummy old me uh we had talked about this before we started how i we kind of touched on it before but like street fighter i'd never played mortal Kombat before i started working for another realm i didn't know who they were i knew who midway was but uh midway is no more mm-hmm. and uh so i didn't know anything about this place <laughs> i go in there and uh you know not even bright-eyed bushy-tailed like like that that car cartoon cat who's got his tail so far between his legs and like he's kind of crying a little bit that was me walking through the front door oh man what what were people's reactions when you told them that you never played mortal Kombat? oh i didn't tell anybody oh, it's probably <laughs> I didn't a smart tell decision anybody for months that i'd never played it i spent uh well they had just released um the big reboot mortal Kombat when i started it was like just a few months out on the shelves when I when I came in there, and so I got a development build, which was kind of like a final QA thing, basically the same thing that went out on the shelves, and um, played that for like the first couple weeks that I was there, while you know I was waiting for software to get set up, mm-hmm. up and, and you know this that and the other thing, and so you know I I tried to get up to speed as as best I could, but yeah, I had no idea. That's that's pretty crazy. To me, but what I gotta ask, like, since you've played it now, who's your favorite character? Who's my favorite character? I, I'm not good with anybody. I'm, I'm gonna say that <laughs> like right off the bat. Um, I, I like Quan Chi. I think he's got like a lot of really cool stuff going on. Like I like that he's kind of a mid range fighter mm-hmm. with a lot of you know really cool magic attacks. Um. And uh, I actually really, really liked um, Kenji on the, uh, he was DLC for that mm-hmm. one. And uh, he was just so cool. Like, I love the idea. I've always loved the idea of, like, the blind fighter, like, the blind gunman who, like, uses some sort of, like, supernatural force or just, like, sheer will to be a badass while mm-hmm. not being able to see a thing. So he, uh, he was interested in me as well. Yeah, I remember when that DLC came out, how it was all these fighters and then Freddy Krueger, <laughs> yeah. which Freddy Krueger actually ended up being a pretty cool character to use. I, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. But no, th- those are all really good characters. What what exactly does an environment artist do? And then how was the transition from that to visual effects? Yeah, so an environment artist is um, not to be confused with the level designer. Um, an environment artist does all of the 3D modeling, texturing, and lighting for um, the levels in the game. And uh, and so, uh, you know, we'd be given a piece of concept for a given level, or in the case of the mobile games, we would have the console versions. And, um, you know, it's basically our job to make everything that needs to be there. And uh, and the most important thing is make it run well on mm-hmm. whatever hardware or console it's being played on. Yeah, what's, uh, what's funny about, and we were, again, talking about this off-air, but uh, one cool thing about Injustice is the environment because it's 
kind of interactive where you can actually break off portions of the level, either throw your opponent through it or maybe, you know, use it to your advantage. So that's what I thought made that game really unique. I mean, the mechanics of it itself is really good. And uh, I'm a comic book geek as well, so I really enjoyed that game. But I thought the the level, being interactive with the level, was one of the best qualities about it. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, when you talk about Injustice, like, you have to talk about the, the interactive environments. Um, like, it, it does this such... Does this yeah, does this awesome thing? Can't talk anymore. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> it does this awesome thing for gameplay where you know in an instant you can completely change the the tide of things. You know you could be losing so bad on at the end of your second life bar, and then you know one really nice reposition or you know throwing a drone at somebody, get them you know on their heels a little bit, and then you can just go into them and you know completely take the match. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really cool thing. Uh, we had talked um, again before about uh, like how it's kind of like Smash Brothers, where like you have this um, this you know awesome fight that's going on. You know, um, you might have like Blink and Mario over there, and here you have you know Superman and the Flash, and they're fighting and it's awesome. But then like they're not just fighting; like they're picking up a car and throwing it, and it's mm-hmm. just all of your comic book fantasies dripping out of the screen. It's awesome. And the, and the story was so great too. And even inspired its own comic book. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I have a copy of that graphic novel. I actually reread it every once in a while. It's so good. But anyway, we're here on the Derek diamond experience with, uh, once again, the unicorn wranglers along with two other people. We've got Adam and Ian Waldron back. Which I have a beef with you, sir, because you challenged me to a, a pizza Look, off at CC's, and it which, ended in a tie. It did it end ended in a tie. In a tie. Which Fourteen means slices. That no one won. Yeah, but I think we both lost actually. Yeah, because I think we're both still like three hours later. I think we're still feeling. The we're driving the struggle it. bus, right? Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. We haven't stopped yet either. CC's won though. Not, not because <laughs> you know, you guys the, feel nauseous. That's a very good point. But the economics of that place are amazing. That's just amazing. <laughs> Those <laughs> slices probably cost 15 cents, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, so they didn't really lose much I, money. I won't guys. disagree with that. Well, yeah. you try to get your 579, you know, yeah. worth, so. Godspeed. Yeah. I think we all did that. Yeah. yeah. No, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the salad was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> Pretty mad I ate that salad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wasted. <laughs> Blessed stomach space on some <laughs> salad and sushi. That's an awful idea. I'm a loser. Half the day, I've actually pretty much been hung up on that fact. I felt like a failure most of today. But I'm also joined with two other people. We have the drummer. Brendan Carnick. Brendan, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I did not eat my weight in pizza, so I'm doing pretty <laughs> well, good. <laughs> You're the lucky one. And I'm the tool bag with the sunglasses on here, so I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and take those off. I'm Travis. Travis, how you doing? I'm pretty good because I did have that salad, so filled up a little bit of space. So you, you were the smart I, one. Yeah, well, I still enjoy some pizza, though, quite a bit. Yeah. You finally got that bacon cheddar pizza yeah. after what seemed cool. like half an hour. 
pretty much you were was. gone for a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Quick so little side t- note on Tell that. everybody why you were gone for so Leads long. Leads me to the uh, entertaining uh, bathroom session that occurred. Uh, I know that, always that can go in story. a lot of directions, but <laughs> I was the innocent one here. I was very, very innocent. I was simply biding my time to enjoy the stall. And a uh, father was standing outside while his young chap was inside having a blast. And by blast, I mean a struggle on the toilet. And by struggle on the toilet, I mean uh, he was taking his clothes off and whatnot. <laughs> no, did I not see this incident, but I heard all of it from right in the other store. You have to put that disclaimer yes, in. Yes, I did not see this incident. I did not see it, but the dad did confirm by standing outside and simply saying, Son, you don't have to take your clothes off to use the toilet. It's a public facility. We're not at home. You can't get ass naked here, boy. The kid uttered a few things like, Dad, uh, Dad, leave me alone. I don't know what he said, whatever. But apparently then he said on the floor because then the dad proceeded to say, Son, get your ass off the floor. It's dirty down there. People piss down there. Further, he went on to explain, not only do they piss on there, but that that pissing occurs either by accident or on purpose. And I, at that point, in my stall, was very relieved to know that it could be an accident, not always on purpose. Hopefully so. Exactly. So I I was okay with that notion. Uh, But it was a simple disclaimer he was laying out there for his son and fellow bathroom goers such as myself. So I didn't sit on the floor or get ass naked in my stall. But Which is also a good disclaimer. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's good. So that's I, good. I, was, I was cool, but this kid apparently was not. His dad let me know that, so we're all good. But apparently uh, they, he didn't do a good job of teaching his son bathroom etiquette. No. They left without further incidents, so I guess we're okay. <laughs> I got my bacon cheeseburger, so I'm all good. I'm, I'm straight there. Good old bacon cheddar cheeseburger pizza there. And I know you guys can formally announce you guys have uh, a show in Daytona. Yeah, it's actually uh, <laughs> we'll be playing Daytona Palooza uh, down in Daytona. We we were actually really excited about it, and uh, so yeah, so we're gonna be able to get to play there. We're gonna you know debut hopefully some of the stuff. We're getting we're working on getting Joey down there. The more peer pressure we can get, so you know whoever listens to is this, there a what's your is there like a message? What's your box yeah? Or what's your Twitter yeah. handle there? Was it? He's shaking his head. At thigh pants thirty <laughs> one. So that's it. Yep, that's it. Go ahead and send all inquiries to at thigh pants. That's like thirty one. Thirty one. Don't forget thirty one. Sorry. Hashtag save Trincali. Right. Yeah. We're gonna start a campaign on Facebook and I just think Twitter. he doesn't want to sing that Great Day to Be Nude song. I but think see, everybody loves that song. Everyone loves that song. Great Day to Be Nude is like you the only one anybody to wants to hear. Embrace that song. It just, if just you're a, nude, you can't wear thigh pants, so there's a problem right there. <laughs> if you knew the original lyrics, I'd give you a little bit of a mulligan, but they were changed to make them more, I don't know, oh, what's the word? PG? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> word for it. That's a real good word for we it. We didn't want a little black box on the... Yeah, <laughs> we didn't want a parental... Yeah, they really, they really, like, I think that we could have gotten really, you know, dark if we didn't want to avoid the black box. <laughs> we could have really Adam, Adam made that very so. clear, yeah. that we weren't trying to cut down our audience <laughs> in any way. an audience already. We could have definitely gone, like, a Tim Burton movie, like, maybe <laughs> Batman Returns. Oh, God. Cue Danny Elfman. Yeah. Well, you could sing Bad Day and still wear the thigh pants. Yeah. 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 Bad Day's got a little... Because you're going to get that weird sunburn. 
Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's still, I mean, it's October, so that's no problem for you. <laughs> you have oh, yeah. What would Florida, be, all right, me? let me ask you this question. Sorry, Derek, I'm hijacking <laughs> this real fast, but I want him to answer. All right, so you're playing Daytona. What's your outfit you're wearing? Oh, I want to know this. That's a good question. Ooh. Yeah, what would you What's wear? your stage question. outfit for your premiere inaugural yeah, you want to be comfortable right debut unicorn regular set i think you go jeans because jeans is that's a good classic <laughs> look right do you have any yeah i've got some <laughs> jeans mostly saved i guess for february <laughs> since we're since we're creating this illusion that i don't ever wear pants but <laughs> um so for, i probably go jeans um not sandals. You, wear, you can't wear sandals with jeans. Um, that, well, you know, I agree with you on that. Yeah, you so just I'd, can't. I'd have shoes. Um, Good. So shoes, jeans. Um, probably no shirt, right? I, <laughs> <laughs> no, our, actually. Our adorable I, fact. Well, I mean, just he, went up. he wears the. Right now, actually, is probably what I would go with. This is comfortable. It's a little shirt with some buttons at the top. I have that same shirt. There you go. I want to dress exactly as Derek Diamond would. <laughs> and that, I think, would be a good opening outfit to wear. <laughs> I was thinking light blue V-neck, Bermuda shorts, and flip-flops. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to look like the guy that created Jurassic Park. As a, as like, <laughs> That's what I want you to look like. Spare no expense, Joe. White, white pants. <laughs> I want you to look like Colonel, Colonel Sanders on the new KFC commercials. Like a, like a full button down, but it's only like halfway button. Right. Yeah. Like maybe a wife beater underneath. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Got it. I mean, it is Daytona. I'll look into it. Yeah. <laughs> it, is Daytona. it is Daytona. Does you got any leather? Yeah. <laughs> Leather no. chaps. No, no leather. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience here with my very special guest this week, former NFL quarterback from the Arizona Cardinals and Denver Broncos, Jake the Snake Plumber. Jake, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on your uh, the experience, the Derek Diamond Experience. I appreciate it. What made you choose football over all the other sports? Well, it was hard, really, to be honest with you. Coming out of high school, or actually going into high school, I played everything. Football, basketball, baseball. I wanted to do track, but just didn't wasn't able to fit it in uh, with my you know baseball schedule in the spring. Right. Uh, I played handball whenever I had a chance, off, you know, out of sport, off season, when there was still time. Like, back in the day, when I went to high school, there was actually a little bit of time once in a while between sports you know, a week or two, but, uh, yeah, just football was really my chance. Once I started receiving letters, uh, my junior year after my junior, year, I went to Stanford, the Stanford quarterback receiver camp. Mm -hmm. And that's when Bill Walsh was there and Terry Shea. And, uh, I was skinny, you know, kid from Idaho down here with all these big guns from California and like the, the, you know, the cream of the crop. And I held my own and actually excelled and set a foot speed record on a little drill they did there and then that's when my name kind of exploded and the word was out and so I started getting letters from everywhere all around the country and that's when I figured wow I can I'm gonna get an education out of this at least right. and that's football became really the sport that I didn't stop and focus on that uh, I still played everything in the summer and played city beach hoops up in Coeur d'Alene rode my mountain bike we had home run derby tennis handball golf all that stuff but I uh, knew that, you know, my senior year was going to be a big year to just go out there and play hard and, and try to win a, another state title and mm -hmm. see, you know, what colleges were going to be the ones I wanted to go to. And after that, played basketball and took some trips and 
even finished up my senior year playing baseball, but I knew that was when football kind of became my, my focus. Leaving college and going into the draft, what's the entire draft process like from a player's side? Because you know these days the combine is heavily publicized, but what, what else goes into it besides you know like the combine type stuff? Well, it, you know, it's changed since when I was coming out uh, in the draft back in 97. Uh, and it was a lot, lot different. I mean, obviously, they still sent coaches out that came and watched a lot of film, uh, would come out to your, the pro day to watch you throw. Uh, but that whole process after, after the Rose Bowl, you know, going to some of the, the East-West Shrine game and the Senior Bowl, that was mm-hmm. a lot of fun, getting that experience to, to meet a bunch of other college players from around the country. And, and you know, I – it was kind of my, a different take for me. I mean, these guys, some of them were real serious and just, uh, you know, going at it. And I, me, I was like, this is an all-star game and a, and a privilege to be in and kind of a, a reward for all of our hard work. Not This isn't necessarily the time I need to go out there and, and prove to these coaches that I'm worthy of the NFL. If they don't know that yet, then why the hell did they bring me out here, you know? <laughs> so we, I had a lot of fun. And there, you know, there was a keg at the senior bowl in the little room they had set up for us and everyone was avoiding it. And by about the third day, you know, I sat down with me and ended up uh, Chris Dishman from Nebraska and uh, a couple guys from Sean Sueda and a couple of my teammates, Keith Poole. We ended up drinking that whole damn keg with about four or five <laughs> other dudes that had the same mindset, you know, like, man, we're here. Let's have fun. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if that happens now. You know, I don't think that they'd be one to be seen having a beer and my, their draft stock could drop. And it's just so overanalyzed now. I'm so glad I came up in a time when it was just players play, ballers ball, coaches coach, and, and you know, get it done that way. But it, it is an intense time. I mean, it was a, you know, you're right there on the doorstep of, of you know, entering into the realm of the dreams that you've had your whole entire life. I mean, that's what my dream was to play in the NFL and to win a Super Bowl and, Good Lord, I'm right there now. I've accomplished and done everything I can as a as a collegiate athlete, and now I've got a chance to get drafted in the NFL. So I, I approach it as just a lot of fun, a chance to just shine and do all the things I've been doing. Uh, I didn't go see a QB guru or anybody. I just worked with my QB coach at ASU and got kept getting in shape, watched film, and, and prepared myself for that next level. That's all I really did. So it's changed in that regard because now you got – these guys that I don't think have ever played quarterback that are now QB gurus uh, mm-hmm. take these quarterbacks and, and teaching them how to play. I mean, either you know how to play or you don't, you know, and right. you can't tell me holding the ball up at the shoulder height and making sure you're pressed in both hands and your chin is tucked. That doesn't make you a player. What makes you a player is diving for a third and four and getting cracked in the ribs and getting up and looking at the defender and saying, that's all you got, bitch. You know, let's go. <laughs> that's what makes you a baller. So it's hard to measure that in a combine setting. It's hard to measure that in, in you know, out on a pro day. Um, you know, so for me, I knew that I, I, I played different than I practiced, and, and I hope coaches would see that. Just needed one team, Derek, just one team to want that, me. And that's, that's, that's all it happen. takes. That's all yeah, it takes is one, one team. Now, going to Denver, you went to the Broncos uh, through free agency. What, how was your time in Denver? It, it was great. You know, I think uh, the chance to come play here it happened really it was started to happen the end of my career there in Arizona my last year we played Denver the last game of the year up here in Denver oh wow at uh, Mile High and Invesco so yeah and I I you know I was 
being coached by Jeep Christ, the quarterback coach at the time, who now is the OC for San Francisco, the 49ers, uh, a great coach, great guy, an awesome person. And uh, so he he gave me some reins. The last couple games of the season there, we had a little package where I, I had no communication with the sideline. It was me calling plays, whatever I felt like calling. And I was having a blast, man. And so I I remember leaving the field and, and the, the crowd was chanting, we want Jake, we want Jake. And that was pretty awesome to know that, you know, there was a team. I can imagine so. Yeah, an organization like Denver where, I I mean, I'd struggled in Arizona. We lost a lot of games, like I said, 3-13, and 13, two years in a row. Uh, that was rough. And, uh, you know, I think it was 3-13. and 13. It maybe had been close to that, but it felt like 3-13. and 13. Um, But, yeah, to get a chance to go to Denver – it was awesome. Uh, you know, Shanahan uh, had a, had an awesome system in place and some great guys in the locker room. And I was able to come up here and add to that and really had a, a four year run that, that kind of resurrected my career and gave me a chance to, to win a lot of games. We had two 13 and three seasons uh, here with the Broncos. So that's a stark contrast to what I went through in Arizona and uh, we damn near made it to the Super Bowl. We were a game away. We lost to the Steelers in the AFC Championship game. And, you know, for a little kid out of Boise, Idaho, whose dreams were to play in the big one, the Super Bowl, you know, to get that close was pretty amazing. And uh, mm-hmm. how, the, how my career ended here wasn't, wasn't how I envisioned it or I don't think people like to see. But that's just how sports goes. And I was ready to retire after 10 and then kind of ready after 9 had we won the Super Bowl. I wanted to leave – that big stage with the MVP trophy and retire that on the spot. Uh, that was what my, my uh, grand scheme, grand plan was, but that didn't happen. So I played one more year and, and it was fun. It was a good, a good experience for me. And it, it kind of solidified uh, the notion that I was ready to get, get out of the game. And the fans in Denver are great too. One of my best friends is a huge Broncos fan and he's, mm-hmm. he's been to a couple of, of Bronco games and I, I think he's going to, one this year, and hopefully he'll let me tag along because I've actually never been to Denver. Oh. So, so ho- hopefully I can make it out there one day. But you know, from what I've seen, I-, I think the fans there are fantastic. Yeah, you know, you said huge fan, and that's really all of them. If you're a Denver fan, you, they're big. They're mm-hmm. they uh, they really get into it. They live and die by the result each Sunday. Um, <clears throat> one fun thing I've been up, up to lately, living here in Boulder, is I go to three or four games a year. And uh, go out and tailgate, just hang out in the crowd and, and shock people, really. I go through the turnstiles with my ticket, uh, go sit in my seat down wherever it is. And for me, it's awesome. I get to you know, bump elbows with my fans, uh, get to experience the game with them. And they ask questions. And by you know third quarter, we're drinking beers and having a great time. And uh, it's, a, it's a really awesome environment. You get a chance to come up here, you definitely should, because it's a beautiful place to watch a football game. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience with my very special guest this week, fellow podcaster, Miss Nicole Welch. Nicole, how you doing? I am doing great, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. We were actually talking uh, before we started. We you were. actually lived in uh, Pensacola at some point. I did. I loved Pensacola. I can't even tell you. I met the love of my life, my husband, who I've been married to for 17 years, and I just, I don't know, man, I would just skip class at, U- at University of West Florida and we would hit that beach and just fall asleep on the beach, that sand. And I don't know, I just missed that small, like that small town, but, but it was just such a, I just had really good memories from there, from college. It was awesome. 
Yeah, that's Pensacola. That that's something that everyone goes to when they, they mention Pensacola. They always go to the beach. It's true because I'm telling you, I'm, I'm in Florida, and the best ones are in Pensacola. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Absolutely, I I know some people who work for the the Visit Pensacola group that uh, would love to hear you say that. Oh well, tell them I will plug it anytime <laughs> they want. If they want me on, you know, any sort of media, I will plug it because. I'm in the middle of Clearwater, Tampa. I'm in Lakeland, so I'm in Tampa and Orlando. I'm originally from Orlando. I was born and raised there. So, um, you know, we have Daytona, New Smyrna. We got spring break coming up soon, but it's so not like Pensacola Beach at all. I mean, just the beauty of it and the feel of it and the the vibe of it is not the same. So here it's very different. And I've been to Panama. I've been to all of them. So Pensacola totally rates number one. So if they ever need me to plug that, tell them I'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. So growing up in Orlando, like what, what were some of your interests uh, while you were growing up? Like what, what kind of things were you into? Oh my gosh. Well, I was totally into movies and I was totally into music. So I am a musician by trade. I sing and um, I, I write songs. So I, I'm not a great guitarist, but I use it to write music with. So, I mean, you know, Taylor Swift says you only need three chords to write a good song. And that's pretty much what I do. I'll, I'll write I'll pound some stuff out on the guitar. And I, I did grow up playing piano. So me and my brother would get the jukebox, you know, the little, uh, you might be too young, Derek, to know this, but we would have like the ghetto blaster, right? And um, we would literally sit there and call into the radio station and like request songs. <laughs> and, so, and I would make like mixtapes for my friends. I mean, I am definitely dating my age. I am in my late 30s. <laughs> The 80s and the 90s were just the bomb. So that's that was my interest growing up was um, and my family would laugh at me because they would I would always ask questions. I'd be like, you know, well, who is that person and what do they do? And my mom would be like, well, if you need to find out what's going on, have Nicole ask them like what, what the juice is because she will get the juice. And so I loved at a young age, even just inquiring of people's minds and finding out their life story and. I would do it even at a young age. I would just ask poignant questions about people's lives. And I don't know, that interests me. That and music, for sure. So even when you were younger, you liked learning about people? Yes. And it, it, I mean, the, it's still a running joke. Like, people are like, if there's some drama going on with like a family member, they'll be like, oh, we'll get Nicole to find out what's going on. <laughs> like, kind of like, and my undergrad is in criminal justice. So, I, I had I had one time at, in Pensacola, I remember having a, they had like a job fair in the FBI and all those guys came out there. And I remember thinking, now I had met my husband at the time, and I remember thinking, if I join the FBI, like if I go with this and, you know, pursue criminal justice as a career, because I knew I didn't want to be a cop or any of that. I thought I, thought I might be a lawyer because I love to debate and do all that stuff. So I like juicy, scandalous topics, you know, and politics, religion, you know, the stuff nobody likes to talk about. And so <laughs> I, I was, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll. I was, uh, I was like looking at the FBI and they were telling me all the stipulations that you need. You have to be a certain age before you get in. And they, you really had to travel. They were like, you know, if you have family or you want a family, you kind of need to like not join. And so I remember thinking, yeah. And then I remember the lawyer thing. I was like, that's pushing paper. Like, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I want to be on TV, like doing the criminal justice, you know, murder cases. And so I knew that wasn't really realistic. So I was just like, you know, and of course, then I wound up going to Central America uh, after we got married and, and living over there. So I still wound up traveling. I just did it with my husband. <laughs> Why did you go to Central America? 
Um, we got involved with um, a little girl who came over here from the States. Uh, my friend is a judge in Orlando, uh, a criminal judge. And actually now he's like appellate court or something. He's like really high up now. But he had met, he had done some medical missions and he's like a great guy and went over and helped some doctors and, uh, you know, and he, he came back telling this story about this little girl. And I, I just, I remember like bawling and I was like, man, I was like so connected to the story. And so they brought her over and my husband wound up helping, you know, redo their house so that the mother could come over and she needed a surgery. She was going to like die basically if she didn't have the surgery and they could only do it in the States. Like we have, we really have state of the art medical equipment. Uh, she had our, all of her organs were on the other side of her body. So like her heart was on her right side instead of her left side. And like all of her intestines were like, it, her whole body was like totally jacked. Mm-hmm. And so um, I fell in love with her. Like we hung out. She stayed in the States for like six months. I was working for the county at the time with some de- department juvenile justice program doing probation and stuff. And um, we were going to take her back to Honduras. You know, she had to leave after a while, which was really hard. She had stayed in the States for so long recovering and she had several surgeries. Right. So we took her back and we stayed a week. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way I could live in this place. This place is a dump. <laughs> and so we're like on the plane heading home. We had gotten sick, you know, dysentery, you name it. You know, it happened. And we're on the way home and my husband's like, oh, my God, we are totally moving back here. And like, we're going to build houses and we're going to feed the poor. And I was like, sure we are, honey. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. And I'm like patting his leg. I mean, I remember it was on the plane. He was so excited, too. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, OK. And literally... Five months later from that date, that was like May, uh, it was the year 911 happened. So 911 happened September. We moved down there in December um, to live. My husband conveniently had lost his job. He had a really good job. And then I was, he was like, we got to go. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It was weird. We just, we were like, you know what? We're young. We don't have kids. Let's just do it. So we went, we wound up working with gang members actually. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. We started a teen challenge program. Um, and over there, gangs are really, really dangerous. Like, um, they make the gangs here look like a, like a joke, like a cartoon. Um, so over there, it was very politically heavy. Um, they were dismembering bodies and putting political messages on them and putting them around the, the, the town, the center of the town. And, uh, there was issues with the president and the gangs. The gangs were basically trying to take over governmentally wise. And wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. We were the only we would actually kidnap these guys in town and drag them to this farm out in nowhere and just rehab them and then rise them up as leaders and have and then just get people who wanted to leave the gangs. They would call they would call us and we would go get them. And um, it was crazy. And I just remember thinking we were the only program that mixed um, anybody listening uh, the DAC Ocho, which is the 18th Street Gang, and the um, Mata Salatrucha, which is like MS. It's like one of the biggest gangs, if, if anybody knows, in Chicago here, um, Chicago and New York. They're huge in California. And so we were the only ones that would mix them. And it was crazy. And just some of the stuff that, you know, we learned working with, with the boys there. They were our boys. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Kind of led me into doing the podcast real time, real men only. That sounds like it would make for a really good movie. Oh, it would totally make for a great movie. Yes, <laughs> that's, fact, that's insane. I've actually talked about that. We've talked about 
doing like a crazy movie where like these twins get split and one of them joins the gang in Central America and the other one goes to the States. Oh yeah, we should talk. We should totally write it up. Yeah, yeah. That, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that off the air so no one steals yeah, it. Yeah, nobody steals the idea, yeah. right? Speaking of your podcast, uh, you said it was called Real Time, Real Men Only. That's right. What gave you the inspiration to do it and what is the show about? Um, what gave me the inspiration to do it? Probably me and my husband would kick it around a lot. We would talk and, um, we would, we would see a lot of things in business. We started our nonprofit when we went to Honduras called Servant's Heart. And we would see a lot with, you know, other ministries down there or people working down there. And we would see a lot of, um, not authentic stuff, you know, like really, I mean, if people only knew what goes on, (laughs) third world countries with Americans like me and Gavin's joke was and this sounds terrible to say on air but I'm going to say it um, was like well the people that can't hang in the states go over to other countries so that they can get away with stuff that really they shouldn't be getting away with so like we would see stuff that was just kind of crazy and um, you know working with Teen Challenge guys you know these guys had murdered people they had been through hell it was like you know it was like really seeing what makes a real man and I would sit there and think about that and then we started a drilling business when we came back here for sinkhole investigations. We have a lot of sinkholes in Florida, especially down here, down south, where yeah. oh, the farming and stuff is. I don't know how it is in Pensacola, but I know well, there is some in Pensacola. I do know, but not, maybe not as much down, down, um, as down here. But, um, and so I'm working with these. I've got these employees, and I'm all of a sudden finding myself managing. You know, we're making really good money. And I'm managing these really young, roughnecked, you know, they've never been to school and they're very country and they're very, they don't like to listen to a woman telling them, you know, so I'm thinking, man, I need to come up with a better way to deal with these guys because, you know, the typical, I'm a woman, I'm the boss, I'm going to tell you what to do. That really isn't working, you know, for them. So I would just really get to know them and build a rapport with them and relationship and just really uh, find out how to motivate them and use like a lot of my psychology. I went and got my master's in psychology and had become a therapist. So I just really, I was fascinated by how these young men just really didn't have a clue about masculinity, you know, and and what being a real man is about. Now, some of them did, um, you know, they had areas in their life where they really brought it, but other areas they just didn't. And so I was really fascinated by that. And me and my husband would talk about it a lot and, I mean, finally, he started his real estate show. Uh, so he podcasts as well, The Real Estate Loop. And he was like, Nicole, you should, you should do a show. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, I thought maybe I'll do it about relationships or psychology or something. And he was like, no, you, you, should, you should just focus on, on one thing, like really narrow it down, like focus on. And I was like, well, what if I'm a female you know, host and I just only interview men? And just and really put that in the name so that people are like, what do you mean she's the she's the host and she, it's only for real men? And people really freak out when they hear that term. Real. I, I was I was curious about that myself actually. <laughs> what were you curious about, Derek? What a real man is? Well, that, <laughs> how I find my guess. That to, basically yes. <laughs> Well, you know, I got into entrepreneurial world and you know with our business and then in the internet world and. I would start to see uh, posers, you know, that were looking like they were making money and they would drive the Mercedes and the, you know, whatever, the BMWs and stuff. But they really didn't have uh, like what I would consider like a real man's, you know, like just embodiment. And so 
they were kind of like just posing so that they could look like they were, you know, just doing it well. And, and they were making money, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have the character behind it. And so it made me really think, I want to interview guys that are entrepreneurs or starting up or maybe very successful and they've been through some stuff. You know, they've been through some life experiences. Maybe they've traveled or maybe they've uh, had a family at a young age or maybe they've been divorced and, you know, realized how working, you know, 100 or 80 hours a week, you know, cost them their wife and children. And so I, it just really, I wanted to embody that and kind of get a lot of different perspectives of what it's like to kind of be a man in this world today and um, work a business or start something, follow your dreams and your passion. And really, I boiled it down to living a powerful life, like really um, taking responsibility and choosing yourself and then, you know, loving yourself so you can love other people and really being uh, understanding people and business. And so I really kind of honed it down to that. And then I don't know, I, I am actually picky about who who I, I interview and who I get on. And I've had, I've learned along the way, like what me and you were talking about earlier before we started recording, like how much you just kind of learn about the interview process. And, mm -hmm. you know, you get people on there and you're thinking, oh my God, this isn't the, what I thought. Or <laughs> you're kind of like, you know, but it was cool because I really wanted to hear these men's hearts and what they struggled with and what they felt was successful for them. And um, you know, kind of just their story and how it defines masculinity in our society. Plus, I teach at the college here locally in Lakeland, um, Florida Southern College. And I, I deal with a lot of young 19, 20 year old guys who, you know, are, are questioning that, like, what am I going to do with my life? And what about relationships? And how do I handle, you know, aggressive women? Or how do I handle, you know, my passivity? Or, you know, there was just issues that I would see. I teach sociology. And so I would see that this coming up and we would talk about issues like that. And uh, it just really made me think, you know, I'm, I am going to do this show. And I, I put off my launch date for a while. And then finally, Gavin, my husband, looked at me and said, you know what, just do it. And so I did. I was like, you know what, I'm going to I got a couple in the can. I'm just going to launch. And I did. I totally did it. Unprepared, very unprofessional. I mean, looking back, I probably would have done a little things different, but I just launched it. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to you know, aim, fire and shoot. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, I've tweaked it along the way and learned um, what not to do and what to do. And so it's been good. All right, guys, hopefully you enjoyed listening to those interview segments. I know I had a lot of fun going back and listening to those. As I said in the open, I'd forgotten how good those were and how much fun that I had doing them. But next week, we'll be back on Thursday with my special guest, author T.S. Barnett, who I met back at FandomCon in Fort Walton Beach about a month ago. So you'll definitely want to check out that episode. And you can also follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore Diamond, as well as the show DDE underscore podcast. And you can also find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And that's all I've got for this week. So enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend. Be safe if you're traveling. Hopefully you eat a lot of turkey, a lot of cranberry sauce. I know I'm going to. So enjoy your weekend. Thank you for tuning in to this best of show. I am your host, Derek Diamond. We'll see you guys back next Thursday. Thursday.